different points. And, uh, this, and so this morning, it's going to give me a great, op, uh, great joy to introduce to you Stephen Okamoto, who is uh, our college minister. I'll give you plenty of chance to clap in a minute, all right? But that was a very good, uh, just an appetizer here. And, uh, but yeah, uh, Stephen is, uh, as I said, he is uh, our college minister, and so some of his responsibilities along those lines include that he leads a, a Bible study on Wednesday night, uh, and uh, he helps organize our gathering, which is a college young adult group that meets every other Sunday, and uh, also is doing a lot of like discipleship work with um, s- some of our college-aged uh, uh, members of our church. He began to, he started coming to West Covina while he was still in college. He attended APU where he graduated about a year and a half ago with a double major in business and youth ministry and now works at, uh, for a company in Diamond Bar. And today is Stephen's first sermon. And uh, I can remember my first sermon very distinctly. And uh, so my prayer is that God would just help him to calm any nerves and be able to deliver God's uh, word to us this morning. Dr. Ben in prayer meeting this morning said that he remembers his friend uh, who preached a sermon. And I asked him if this is a true story. He said it was. Uh, He entitled his sermon, What Do We Have to Be Afraid Of? And he got up and preached and he could barely stand up. He was so nervous. (laughs) And now Stephen's sermon this morning is on happiness. And I, and I trust that that will come out of Stephen. Stephen is one of the most joyful people I know and a, a truly a godly young man in our church. And so it is a blessing for me to be able to introduce him this morning. And I ask that you would welcome Stephen as he comes to share God's word with us today. Okay, thanks, thanks you, thank you everyone for having me this morning. Um, I'm really happy that you guys are here. I don't know if you'll be happy you're here by the end, <laughs> but I hope you are. Um, yeah, so uh, this morning's passage is uh, out of Psalm 128. I'll go ahead and read that for us, and then we'll go ahead and get started. This is out of the message. All you who fear God, how blessed you are. How happily you walk on his smooth, straight road. You worked hard and deserve all you've got coming. Enjoy the blessing. Revel in the goodness. Your wife will bear children as a vine bears grapes. Your household lush as a vineyard. The children around your table as fresh as promising young olive shoots. Stand in awe of God's yes. Oh, how he blesses the one who fears God. Enjoy the good life in Jerusalem every day of your life, and enjoy your grandchildren. Peace to Israel. Will you join me in prayer? Lord, I just pray that you would be present here. I pray that we would experience the joy of your, of your presence, and that we would, um, Lord, that you would just speak through me today. In your name we pray, amen. So when Pastor Corey laid out all the different options for me to choose for preach, regarding preaching topics, um, I decided this week specifically and uh, this passage specifically because the theme was happiness. 
and I thought that if I was going to preach a first sermon on something, it might as well be like a good topic that everybody loves. Um, you know, after all, why, who doesn't love happiness? I think in some way or shape or form where everybody is, is seeking happiness, and for some, they would even say this is why we do all that we do. I know for me, when I look back on my life, I can think of certain seasons where I can say, yes, this was, this was for sure a great season in my life. This was a very happy season. Or yes, over here, this was a great season. Um, I can think of one particular moment um, that really stood out to me and was formational for me. Um, I was at church camp. I was, uh, realized that I was very, I really wanted to know God, but I, didn't really experience, I wasn't really experiencing all the joy that came with him. And that was a sad, a sad thought for me. And so I was praying, I was praying, God, I just want to experience more of your joy. Uh, please, please give that to me. Um, and then later that night, uh, during a worship session, the, um, I, was, I was just sitting, standing there, getting ready for worship, and all of a sudden, I just felt an immense joy. It just, just, it was just so overwhelmingly powerful that I couldn't help but laugh. And and uh, I was on the sitting on the ground laughing to myself in a corner, and people were thinking it was really weird. Um, but I. I was just floored by how the Lord had answered my prayer in a, in a more literal way than I was even praying or thinking. And so throughout my entire life, my, my short 23 years of life, I, uh, I've come to believe that, you know, like it talks about in the psalm, that if we are close with God, if we walk in his ways, he will bless us and we'll certainly be very happy. Now that's not to say that um, I haven't experienced some trial that might put this notion of, of being of closeness with God and happiness. I, um, there's definitely um, definitely some challenges that I faced that that might that would um, question my belief in this in this notion. Most recently was a couple of weeks uh, months ago when I started to to pay attention to the news. Uh, I saw all the the different shootings and violence, and I I was really disturbed by that, and I was. Wondering why? Why am I? Why? Why is the world struggling like this? Why? How am I supposed to respond? Why haven't? Uh, why have I been so sheltered and so fortunate? And then I'd be also began to to really struggle with with my all my various responsibilities and all my my ambitions to conquer the world. Um, and I I realized that um, I was also very overwhelmed just with the everyday life of whether enough work, you know, working too much or. Um, having time to pray, or having time to spend time with my friends, or to eat healthy, or to get enough sleep, or to attend church, and even to do the laundry. Don't worry, this is a clean shirt. Um, I know it's clean because I actually forgot my nice button down today, and so Darren graciously let me borrow his. Um, So yeah, little shout out. Thank you, Darren. I appreciate it. Um, Anyways, I started to believe that... this life was kind of challenging, you know, being a Christian was kind of challenging. And if I wanted to be faithful with all the responsibilities that, that I had, it meant that it wouldn't leave very much room for fun or for happiness, but that, that was okay because that's what it meant to be faithful to God. So as I began to prep for this sermon, I, I read Eugene Peterson's thoughts on the matter, and this is what he has to say. There is a general assumption prevalent in the world that it is extremely difficult to be a Christian. To really be on the way of faith, take with absolute seriousness all the Bible says. Well, that requires a predisposition to saintliness, an extraordinary willpower, 
and an unspecified number of nameless austerities that they are quite sure they cannot manage. But this is as far from truth as the East is from the West. The easiest thing in the world is to be a Christian. Being a Christian is what we were created for. And as I read this passage, my first thought was, "Uh uh-oh, being a Christian is supposed to be easy. Have I been doing it all wrong? Being a Christian has been really hard for me the past couple months. And uh, after some reflection on on this matter, I've, I've... and praying about it, I really believe, you know, looking back on my, past li- on my past experiences in life, that Eugene Peterson is right. We think that Christianity is supposed to be hard, but Christianity is meant to be easy. We think that Christianity is meant to be hard, but it's meant to be easy. With Christ, our walk with him is easy because he tells us to cast all of our anxieties on him because he cares for us. He tells us that though young men might grow weary and faint, that those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will walk walk and not grow weary. They will run and not grow faint. Now, this isn't to say that we won't face many challenges along the way. However, I've come to believe that as we walk with Christ, we're able to easily do what many would would, would seem like very challenging. Take Paul and Silas's imprisonment, for example. Um, they were giving a missionary. Uh, they were missionaries in a certain town, and the religious leaders, out of jealousy, began to stir up false char- the crowd um, and accuse them of false charges, and they were thrown in prison. Now, this fa- this imprisonment based on on phony charges was enough for them to be really frustrated with God. After all, they were doing His work. They were preaching the gospel, and all they were rewar- rewarded with was imprisonment. However, their joy was not hampered. They, they sang praise song after praise song after praise song um, until God literally shook the whole foundations of the prison. Um, and all the doors were opened. And eventually, the, this led to the salvation of the jailer and his entire household, as well as Paul and Silas's release from prison. It is the joy of Christ that empowers us to do hard things. In the parable of the hidden treasure, one of my all-time favorite parables, in part because it's only one verse long, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. What I find very interesting about this passage is that it doesn't, even though it seems like the man is making a big sacrifice by selling everything he has, he's really not. Uh, He's ultimately doing it because he knows that this treasure will ultimately make him happier. In the same way, being a Christian could very well cost us everything. But we are able to to do this freely, to joyfully give it all away, because we have found something of infinitely more value than anything and everything that this world could offer us. We realize that in choosing Christ— we not only gain relationship with our Lord and Savior, but are happier for doing so. The joy of Christ empowers us to do hard things. Christ cares for us um, not only when we face intense trial, but in the everyday busyness and tiredness of our lives. This is why he says to us, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, for those of us who are steeped in first century Hebraic farming methods, the concept of a yoke might make sense to us. But for the, for the few of us who are a little rusty when it comes to ancient agricultural techniques, uh, this is what a yoke looks like up on screen. I don't know if you were picturing an egg yolk. It's not that. Uh, if you didn't have breakfast this morning, maybe you're thinking of an omelet. There's, there's lunch after service, and it's, it's free. You should stop by. Um, but a yoke, in this sense, is a heavy wooden collar that would go around the neck of several oxen or an ox, and the ox would use this, um, being, being, uh, being strapped by this piece of wood, they would pull a, a tool that would help plow their fields. Typically, what farmers would do is they would attach a, an experienced ox to a less experienced ox, and that together they would plow the fields. This was a great teaching technique because the experienced ox would shoulder most of the load while training up the younger ox in the ways of the farm. Jesus uses this illustration very, to paint a very powerful picture of the Christian life as we walk with him. We get to sharing Christ's work as Christians, working and growing and learning side by side with him. And should we ever feel overwhelmed by the difficulties and the struggles of this life, we can take comfort in knowing that Christ will do all the heavy lifting and we just need to walk with him. As we, we can rejoice in, know, in the fact that wearing the yoke of Christ it lightens the weight of our burdens and responsibilities. Wearing his yoke lightens our burdens and responsibilities. As I continued to dive deeper into this passage and really look at the verses, when I read verses 1 through 2, and it talks about blessing, you know, if you walk in the ways of the Lord, if you, you, if you fear the Lord, he, you will be blessed. Like, I absolutely believe that. This is a great encouragement, um, and I'm ex- it's something I was excited about. However, when I was looking at verses 3 through 6, when it talks about receiving blessing, the, certain, the specific blessings that the Lord was giving, what, come to, what came to mind is that I don't have the blessings or all of the blessings that he was talking about, namely a, a wife and children and grandchildren, etc. You know, for, my, my, for my present life stage and for my present relationship status, I think it's okay that I don't have any grandchildren right now. <laughs> um, but the fear is, what if I go through my entire life and I don't hit all of these, these blessing milestones? Does it make me any less faithful if I don't receive what seems to be promised in Scripture if I follow God? Does it make me any more faithful if I do? I don't know about you, but sometimes I, feel, have, I have a temptation to think this way. And of course, of course this isn't true. If we think back to people that we know or to stories that we've heard, we can, we can know that there have been many faithful followers of Christ who haven't gotten married, many who have been unable to have children, there have been many who have died way too young and not gotten to see their children's children. And there are many who have, lab- been, who have labored hard for Christ and yet not gotten to see the fruit of their labor. I think as Christians, we sometimes have a temptation to think that our spiritual thermometer of whether we're doing well or whether we're not doing well is reflective on whether or not we hit these perceived blessing milestones. For some of us, that could be a significant other, or a spouse, or a kids, or a car, or retirement benefits. It could be an education. Or you could just be concerned with getting enough food on the table. Whatever the case, 
there's a temptation to think that if we don't have enough blank, we are not following God enough. If you're following along on the sheet, I'll let you fill that one in yourself. So why do I think this way? Why why does it sometimes seem to me that the scriptures seem to support this idea that if we don't have this or that, that we aren't blessed? Well, I think that Eugene Peterson might say that it's because I'm imposing my own American American dream-influenced ideas onto the text. I mean, maybe he would say that. I've never actually met him, so I don't know if he would say that. But what he did say, and as Darren did a great job in covering last week, was that the sort of blessing that is, is going on here, is talk in the, specifically to the Hebraic Israelite context, is talking about multiplication. You see, the passage says, you know, your wife fruitful, your children as fresh and promising as young olive shoots, uh, experiencing the fruit of your labor, growth and multiplication. So what does that mean for us today? Uh, our current societal values aren't necessarily placed on trying to have as many children as we can to help out on the farm. Nor necessarily, probably should they be, but that would certainly be one way for us to increase our church population. Um, Danielle and, and Julie have done a great job in getting us started, so I don't know, we'll see. But I think that this little, uh, I think that what we can take away from multiplication isn't that blessing is about having a wife or, or having, a, having a bunch of children or even having old age. I think what we can take away is that blessing isn't about having at all. If it's not about having, then what is it about? I think that many of us are familiar with the story about Jesus feeding the 5,000. Uh, Jesus Many people have come from far and wide to see Jesus, and they've listened to him preaching all day. And irresponsibly, no one has brought enough food to, to make it till dinner time, except for one little boy who has five loaves of bread and two fish. And, and instead of keeping it for himself and, and eating the food himself, he, he offers it to Jesus. And Jesus, taking the bread, breaking it, and giving thanks, he began to share it with those who were around him, and a crowd of, somehow, miraculously, a crowd of over 5,000 men, women, and children were able to ha- eat and have their fill, and there was plenty left over. I think that this little boy is a perfect example of what Jesus is calling us to do with our blessing. Blessing isn't about having. It's about Christ's multiplication in our lives and others' lives. It's about Christ's multiplication in our lives and, other, and others' lives. Like this little boy, we may not feel like we have much to offer. Maybe we feel if we ha- that we might have enough blessing in the form of, of time or of talent or possessions or relationship for us to share with one or two people, with our family, maybe even with our small group. Maybe some of us don't even feel like we have enough blessing for ourselves. Regardless, if we offer what little we have to the Lord, we can not only meet people's physical needs, but we can see an entire community transformed by Christ's power. And that's just one little boy or one individual. Imagine if we, as a a church, would all offer our blessings and and talents and, and time to the Lord and to see him multiply that and use that for his kingdom. I really believe we could change the world. One inspiration for me in this regard are our two missionaries named Jenny and Justin Duckworth. 
the Duckworths to meet embody what it means to be an ambassador to Christ in their own neighborhood. They may not feel like they have much to offer, but they have much wisdom to offer, and they have many, many things to say about multiplying their gifts for the flourishment of their communities. They try to advance the kingdom in little ways in every aspect of their lives, even down to the, their entertainment choices. They believe that entertainment choices are a simple yet powerful blessing that, they can, that many can use to participate in advancing the kingdom of God. On this subject, Jenny says, what if recreation in its purest sense is about recreating, bringing life, not sucking it in? What if we were far more disciplined and thoughtful about our recreation choices so as to add to our inner resources rather than replete them? Jenny goes on to say about how her love for acting and and for the theater caused her to put on a play of Jesus Christ Superstar for her neighborhood, um, featuring all the neighborhood kids. She said that this was one of the craziest experiences of her life because kids were constantly getting hurt or getting sick or throwing up and that the backdrops were inconsistent and crazy and that no show was ever alike. However, what she did say was that not only was the community and neighborhood very blessed because of this, but it became an integral, being a part of the play became an integral part of these children's testimonies for years to come. Admittedly, she says, it doesn't even have to be as hard as this. It could be as simply as easy as inviting your neighbor to see a movie that you were planning to see by yourself or inviting some friends over to have dinner with you. You know, in full disclosure, if you really commit to something like this, if you really commit to offering your gifts up to the Lord and watching him multiply it, you just might get a little bit more than you bargained for. Uh, I remember um, being, having just read this book and being inspired by, by Jenny's example. I wanted to make some inroads with the neighborhood kids and kind of be cool. Um, and so I, I went to Target and I bought a Nerf gun and I challenged them to a Nerf battle. And the kids were, were so thrilled and so excited that one game turned into seven games and that an organized game outside with teams turned into crazy chaos that made its way into my apartment and dirt was everywhere, things were smashed. Uh, I was much bigger than them, so I was shot way more than them. They teamed up on me. It was totally unfair. But, and, and now, to top it all off, um, Every time I leave my door unlocked, they, uh, chances are some of them will open the door and say, hey, you want to play Nerf guns? Or, hey, you got anything to eat? And, and for, <laughs> as, oh, sorry. as someone who, is, who wants to be fun and wants to be spontaneous but really isn't that fun or spontaneous, uh, it was quite a challenge when, when something unexpected popped in like that. Um, certainly it added an extra element and uh, dimension to my life, but for me, I found that it was so worthwhile and so worth it because it not only offered me an opportunity to really try to love my neighbors, to literally love my neighbors, but it gave me an opportunity to speak some truth into their life and afforded me much more, much more uh, an avenue into into talking to them than, and it was so much more worthwhile and and encouraging than it would have been if I just had spent that time watching TV at the end of the day. For me and for Jenny and perhaps for some of us, this is what it can look like to offer up our five loaves and two fish to Jesus. The last point I'd like to make is a subtle yet important one. I believe that many of us think that 
a spouse or a family or old age is a picture of the vision of a Christian good life. So if you're following along, sorry, this is, uh, this is actually supposed to be the third misconception. I've, I made a mistake on the, on the bulletin. Anyway, uh, I think that these, uh, these components are all great to have in your life and that if and that I, I certainly would want to have, you know, I would eventually one day want to get married and have some kids and, and to have a nice house and, and all that. However, the danger for me is that sometimes I think the notion of the American dream has influenced me more than I realize. And that sometimes I'm in danger of just combining the American dream with God and saying, and calling it a day. I think God in a subtle way sometimes becomes something that we've accomplished or something that we've accumulated. We're also in danger of either becoming complacent with what we've got, having already achieved the Christian American dream, or being distracted by what we want, striving to attain the Christian American dream. Instead, Scripture encourages us to compare our Christian life to a race and to run the race so as to receive the prize. Now, I don't know about you, but I really dislike running. Uh, Can any of you relate? Are there any runners out there? Okay, a few of you, okay. Well, I'm more of a sports person if, if there's any exercise at all for me. Um, I like playing and competing, but I really don't like just running. I realized, however, that after college, my metabolism has started to slow down a little bit, and my pants have become a little bit tight. Now, normally, someone who notices this might start working out more or might start running in order to maintain their form or to be healthier. But for me, my primary motivation for for running more was so that I don't have to buy new pants. Uh, I don't got money for that, right? Um, So every time I've been running for the past couple of months, or after or during the run, I'll actually take a quick peek at my stomach to see that if it's smaller, which... Uh, we can all find silly because we know that something like that would take a lot of time before there's a noticeable difference. In our instant gratification society today, I believe that we expect immediate results. If I walk with God for a week, where's my reward? Come on, God. It's been a whole week. But like running, the benefits aren't always immediate. However, the payoff is most definitely there. Studies have shown that runners or joggers of any sort have had a 30% lower risk of death from all causes and 45% lower risk of death from cardiovascular ailments. The researchers also found that runners, on average, live to be about three years longer than non-runners, and that runners are said to be happier since there are natural benefits of running include endorphins and community building and strength and goal setting and self-esteem. I think in the same way, the Christian life While I might not notice it in the present season, when I look back at the different seasons of my life, I can say, yeah, that was a really good season. The blessings of joy and joys of Christ, of walking with him, are very evident for me. This is not to say that this is why I do not believe that the pinnacle of Christ, the pinnacle of the Christian life, is limited to our vision that we sometimes unconsciously cast for ourselves in in the form of the Christian American dream. Instead of the American dream, I believe that we need an alternative that more adequately reflects what our vision of the good life should be centered around. One that I found to be particularly helpful for me is a statement by the Westminster Assembly that states, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. 
The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. This is a radical statement because it doesn't just talk about praising God or doing things for God. It talks about actually experiencing God in a joy-filled way. John Piper, a well-known pastor whose teachings have been influential in my life, would even take it a step further and say that God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. In other words, the more we experience God in this incredible, joy-filled way, the more that he receives the honor and praise and glory that he is due. For those of us who have been hearing me talk about happiness this whole time and have been wondering, okay, that's great, but how can I experience this for myself? I would encourage you to look no farther than the cross. In Hebrews, it says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The cross, though once the ultimate sign of suffering and shame, is the ultimate cause for celebration because it allows us to abide in Christ. In John 15, 9-12, it says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands... You will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my, my joy may be, may be in you and that your joy may be made complete. This is a radical, incredible statement It's because it says that Christ, we don't just get to rejoice about knowing God, we get to rejoice because Christ's joy is literally inside of us. Christ's joy in you, Christ in you. This is where true joy comes from. That's why we rejoice at the cross. Yes, our sins are washed away. Yes, we get to go to heaven. But the implication of these two things and the greatest source of joy is that we get to be with Christ. We get to be where he is. We get to experience the joy and depth of relationship with him. There is no greater blessing than Christ himself. Let's pray. Lord, I am so thankful for you who, who died in our place, who counted all, all joy to die for us, to forgive us of our sins. I ask and I pray, Lord, for those who have yet to experience you or who have yet to experience your joy, that you would be present here and that and that we would pray to receive more of you, God, every day. I ask, Lord, that your joy would be present with us and that we'd be abounding in love. God, I pray for your, for your blessing over West Covina Christian Church. And I thank you and praise you for all that you are. In your name we pray, amen.